50. I, I get it. I, I get it. What is going on, everybody? Brandon Spano here, DNVR Biz. We have an awesome podcast today. It's about an hour convo, so I'm going to jump right into it. But we have Tall Shakar on, uh, such an awesome guest. Tall started at McKinsey back in 2012 and has just been a rocket ship since. Um, ended up at the Shernan Group in 2014, spent three years there, was part of the team that acquired Barstool Sports, uh, among many others, and ended up over at BuzzFeed as the business strategy and growth guy over there. Um, now he is over at uh, Immortals, uh, the, the gaming group. They're doing amazing things. They just raised a $26 million investment round. He's the t- chief digital officer over there. So, Really, a really knowledgeable guy. We get into a lot of specifics about the industry here, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. So, without further ado, let's jump right into the interview with Tall Shakar. Tall, thanks for making the time, man. Appreciate it. No, thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, let's. I got. I really want to kind of jump into a lot of different things, but before we do. I would love if you could just kind of let everyone know the quick story on how you got into Shernan and then BuzzFeed and kind of what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, no. So, so look, I am. Um, I, I had always been really passionate, honestly, growing up about media, um, partially because I was always that kid who really loved like the way you would like, you know, now it seems kind of silly because we just do it on Twitter. But back in the day before Twitter, right, like everyone would kind of gather around the day after a movie came out or a TV show or something came out. Right. And like, that was the thing that you would talk about. I love that sense of community um, that was created around content. And so I'd always kind of wanted to be a part of that. um, Honestly, whether that be sports, whether that be movies, TV, et cetera. Um, And so, you know, I I sort of grew up on the East coast, was working at McKinsey um, general strategy consulting, doing a lot of work for different types of consumer companies, marketing companies, big companies, I mean, not really honestly working in media. And um, my, my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, she wanted to move to California because she's originally from here. And so for, for the first time, I kind of said to myself, okay, you know, I got to go, I got to go see about a girl that, you know, Goodwill hunting line, but also, hey, maybe I should actually make media, media, my, my career. So I moved out here. I knew some folks from McKinsey that had ended up working for Peter Chernin who used to run News Corp, one of sort of the greatest media executives of all time, honestly, and uh, ended up getting connected with them. Um, and so started working for Peter. Uh, we spent a number of years there building, buying, starting, running, whatever kind of, however you want to describe it, everything that you could do, we did basically. Uh, digital media businesses. So things like Barstool Sports, streaming anime, a company called Crunchyroll. Um, and uh, I did that for a number of years, eventually uh, ended up joining BuzzFeed to run BizOps for our, our BuzzFeed Studios division. Um, and um, that was a really fun journey. And then uh, had always been sort of very interested and excited about gaming. And so ended up joining uh, uh, one of the big esports and gaming companies here in LA uh, called IGC, where I, uh, I'm the chief digital officer um, and have sort of been running all of our consumer facing and competitive and sort of product as a technology now for, for a bit. And uh, throughout all of that sort of a student and uh, an intense kind of avid, you know, prosumer, if you will, uh, follower of everything that's happening in media uh, and, and have been uh, doing a bunch of angel investing and, and consulting and advising uh, in this space for a long time as well. 
Yeah, you know what's what's crazy. I thought of you um, while at the grocery store yesterday, which is <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sure you'll enjoy that. I'm I'm um, I'm on pins and needles right now, actually. <laughs> so I'm walking through the frozen food aisle, and there are these um, different. I forgot exactly what they were, but it was all tasty brand food. And I'm thinking like, geez, this is really digital comes to life. Like this <laughs> is like, this is like your Facebook video feed. You know, uh, you've already sworn off Facebook and here you are at 1.30 AM. Like you've been watching Facebook videos now for 45 minutes straight, questioning the meaning of your life and you're watching tasty videos. And here I am in the grocery store, like looking at them. Um, and, and that's so 2020. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, uh, it reminds me a little bit. There was a great Chappelle show sketch back in the day of what the internet would look like in real life. Uh, and, uh, you know, I have to say that it does kind of feel like so many other things. He was kind of a little bit right about what, what the world was going to move to. Maybe not quite in the same comedic effect, but uh, yeah, there might not be much that's more 2020 than, than being in a grocery aisle and coming across some tasty, some tasty cookware, <laughs> some tasty uh, food products. Yeah. Right. Get right. used to it because you're, you're going to start seeing more and more of those types of products and collaborations uh, in real life over time. So. Yeah. You know what? I feel like every camp for us, we, uh, we started like the very first thing when we started doing parties, we were like, let's make this come to life. That's like the term because yeah. it's like, not really till uh, when it's behind a screen, it's like not And then you're yeah. like, let's do clothes and that'll create more. And then let's, let's do a bar. And then, you know, you end up kind of crossing over if the brand is doing, if you're doing the right stuff, you eventually do cross over into this real life thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that's been really interesting, and, and you know, I, I've seen this in esports. Um, I've seen this, we saw this really, really strongly with, with barstool sports, is that, you know, traditionally people kind of thought of like merch and events as purely sort of like revenue businesses, you know, like, hey, like, how do we make a little bit more money here or there, right? Yep, yep. But yep. the reality is, is that they're actually such huge, important drivers of your community and your brand building, particularly when you're an online business, right? Because sort of people can, can touch, right, the product. They can, they can display it in their real life, right? Um, and so, or, or see other people that they might have only interacted with on Twitter, you know, at an event of yours. And so while those are absolutely big businesses in their own right and can be really important revenue drivers, and I'm sure you guys have seen this, I bet that, you know, if you were to think back about it, uh, you know, merchandise and sort of those IRL events, for lack of a better word, we're probably hugely impactful in actually taking your brand and making it feel tangible and real to your audience and then driving even further engagement for your online uh, business would be my guess. 100%. I mean, we've, we've gotten deep enough to where we've even broken the customer profile down into 10 different levels. And, yeah. um, you know, when you, for example, get to the threshold where you convert somebody to a paying member and they buy an annual membership and they get kind of welcomed. A lot of times they'll say, finally pulled the trigger on Twitter and a bunch of people will say, welcome to the family and stuff. Uh, and then a couple days later, their shirt comes in the mail and they put it on. Uh, it almost, it almost like becomes a uniform. Yeah. You know, it really yeah. does. It, it's like the transformation. To yeah. User. No, I, I totally get that. I mean, when I was at Churn and we used to often talk about something that we called the t-shirt test, which I think now is, is like a little bit more commonly talked about, but the whole idea was, 
we really only wanted to invest in companies or brands where people not only were willing to, but were like excited to put on the t-shirt of the brand. Right. right? right. And, you know, you can kind of think about that. And honestly, um, you know, you, you know, in your heart, right. Which brands you would feel comfortable, like actually wearing a shirt and which brands, you know, you might experience, you might enjoy, you, you might be a, fan but you know you wouldn't really want to be caught in the grocery store while you're staring at the tasty products in the t-shirt right um (laughs) there's a huge difference there and i think the brands and the companies that can really like pass that test those are the ones that have something special um and you know that's where we 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 often honestly spend almost you know try to find as many of those as possible and spend all of our time and money and energy on so you've really diversified your career quite a bit. One of the questions that I wondered was, do you find more fulfillment or enjoyment out of investment or operation? You know, that's a really, depending on, on what day you catch me, I'll tell you it's one or the other, to be honest with you. Um, look, I've been very lucky where most of my experiences, I've been able to combine aspects of both, which is to say that you know, when I've been more on the investing side, I was always at, you know, a firm or, you know, on my own in a very hands-on investment capacity where, you know, we'd write the check, but then, you know, we'd be in the trenches really trying to help the entrepreneurs or the operators build their business. And right. so, you know, it was very, there were very few times where I was just writing a check and saying, hey, you know, good luck. Let me know. I'll see you later. Um, you know, on the other hand, um, you know, I've spent most of my career in pretty early stage companies with really great investors and backers, all of whom were super hands-on and helpful with me as well. Um, and, you know, that, that tends to then create sort of a two-way street where you sort of help, you know, them as they think through investments and other opportunities too. So I've been very lucky, honestly, to get to do, to, to do both really. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's also a little bit about just like time in your career. So right now I'm having a ton of fun operating and really enjoying getting like really in the weeds and dirty, um, you know, rolling up my sleeves on that front. Um, you know, but, but I, I'd be lying to you if I didn't think or say that, you know, just like every other operator, it seems like at some point, um, you know, sort of being able to spread myself across more companies from an investment capacity while still helping out, like that definitely has a lot of, of draw and appeal to it as well. So. I want to get into gaming. It's something that, um, in, in some capacity, we've had a ton of success in, and in another capacity, we just failed miserably in. And it's, it's, it was very difficult. You know, um, early on in the pandemic and the lockdown stages, we really did some hard pivots, um, which, you know, smaller companies are, 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 are more agile and able to do so. Uh, and this is something we kind of pride ourselves on. And, and we were able to launch a lot of different things. We did DNVR watches where, uh, you know, we watched Netflix series with our whole community and, and tweeted about it live. And that was fairly successful. And we launched, um, you know, some, uh, we, we, we launched uh, Big Drive Energy, which was a golf brand, and uh, we launched DNVR Gaming. And, you know, what we found is like, we were able to build big communities that played games like, uh, you know, we have a great partnership with WGT, for example, where we were able to get, I think we're building our fourth clubhouse. So we're about to migrate, you know, we're going on a thousand users, we we're able to migrate over as That's like, awesome. Um, so, so that's like a, that's like a successful example. Yeah. Uh, we have like DNVR Madden leagues that are, you know, packed 32 owners per league and stuff. And we had these big tournaments and, uh, and so all of those community driven things we did great at actually 
like creating the DNVR gaming Twitch channel that drives revenue, you know, no matter what, no matter like, even if we put our biggest personalities there, we'd live streamed, we even created characters and spent a bunch of time in digital design, like crafting a character and putting them on the nuggets and taking people through a season and stuff. It was just extremely difficult to gain traction. And I think I, I still look at it as like, man, maybe, maybe you have to go straight to the proven channel and just buy it or you have to find the, the talent on twitch but um so anyway i i'm kind of rambling because i just wanted to paint no, the i listen i think um i think a lot of folks have maybe had somewhat similar experiences to you in the sense of like that are sort of sitting in this cultural place where they know and they can see the impact of gaming they understand the power of twitch and what's happening with ninja some of these other big gamers and things that are blowing up um, and, you know, there's sort of this desire and, and, and on some level, like a need to figure out, like, how do you play your part? I think, you know, one of the things that you said, like, is, you know, or actually most of what you said, it's not honestly that surprising to me, which is, look, like gaming increasingly, right, it, it sits at this cultural nexus between a lot of different other pieces of and facets of our entertainment world, right? You see all of the traditional athletes, right? All those guys are playing games and streaming and, and, and creating content around the games that they love, right? Whether it be NBA players or football players, they're all, they're all playing Call of Duty or, or some of these other really popular games, right? You know, you look at what's happening with, with music um, and, you know, with, with certain, certain pop stars or, 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 you know, rap artists, et cetera, uh, you know, who are ha hosting massive concerts and things like Fortnite, right? So the Travis Scott Fortnite event was this like massive event that right, blew right. everything away, right? And so you, you see this sort of like cultural nexus, right? Um, I mean, you see Barstool playing with that fake coach and, you know, you log on there and there's a million people or whatever yeah, watching he, him one play. Of the biggest, one of the biggest sort of things that blew up on the scene in, uh, this year. So, so there's absolutely this trend um, where you see, I think, all facets of culture kind of blending together. And gaming is one of the, I think, drivers of that. So I totally get why you guys were like, hey let's see what we can do here. And while you guys had a bunch of success in terms of replicating or creating some of these communities or some of the community that you built it, uh, for yourselves within these other worlds, right? Like the Madden leagues that you described, that, that sounds awesome. Um, and uh, I'm curious how good you are, by the way, but- um, <laughs> I'm fairly good. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't doubt that. I feel like you're one of those guys, by the way, who does like the full season long campaign mode, by the way, who's yeah, like- Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So, uh, but you know, the, at the same time, I think what you sort of described about Twitch isn't that surprising to me because I think one of the things that people underestimate about a platform like Twitch is just like the commitment and focus that it needs and how specific it is, which is to say like, you know, you see these big streamers and those guys, you know, they stream 12 plus hours a day, every day, constantly. They are always making content and it's a really hard platform to build an audience on if you're not doing it day in day out in mass quantities yeah uh, it's really hard and so you know i think a lot of folks kind of try to dip their toe in the water there um and then don't really see a ton of return um but um it's absolutely there if you put in the time you put in the energy and you find the right spin on it right so what you described with barstool um and sort of the coaching simulation right that's like the perfect fit for barstool right um, I don't know exactly what might be the perfect fit for you guys, but the perfect fit's probably out there, but it's it's usually not for most folks that are coming from outside gaming. Let me just, you know, throw up a game or two or do something that doesn't feel as authentic to the gaming community. It That tends not to work. So I, I yeah. can't say I'm terribly surprised by sort of what you were describing. I think a lot of folks experience the same thing. 
Yeah, yeah. I think I've come to the realization that, like you said, it's it's like we can't just have our talent that is doing all of these other things say, hey, we guys want we want you guys to come together and hey, you play on Tuesday and you play on Wednesday. It should be somebody that says, like, hey, we are DNVR gaming. We run the Twitter account. We game all day, every day. We, we stream all the time. Like they are. And it's just like its own, just like we treat all the other team beats, you know, like that's probably the way it would have to work. Yeah. I think, I think that kind of level of commitment and focus is really what it takes to really succeed uh, because it is, look, it's, it's a tight knit community. Authenticity and credibility really matter. And then, you know, more than anything, as I said, it just, you, it takes real commitment and day in, day out focus. Um, you know, it's not just some, something that you can slap up and, and say, and, and, you know, immediately have instant success. You know, I think there's, there's too often in a lot of walks of life, we tend to be like, oh, look at this overnight success. And the reality, it was like 10 years in the making. Uh, totally. I think that's especially true, honestly, with gaming and sort of gaming content and influence, which is everybody looks at the, the guy on Twitch who has, you know, tons of followers and tons of viewers and everyone thinks, oh, wow, look, they just blew up. And the reality is that person was probably streaming for you know a long time and building that audience up in the first place before they got to where they got to. Let's move to podcast. Big tech is moving fast into podcast. Um, Apple and Sony reportedly looking at Wondery for 400 million reported yesterday. Um, so let's, let's talk about that one in particular before we move yeah. to today's news. Um, that one's interesting because that's a pure content play right there. Um, yep. And man, you know, I'm trying to look, I'm, I'm you know, I, I, I kind of know the CPM metrics really good in this industry. And I'm thinking maybe wonder he's doing 40 million. And if they are, that's a 10 X value. I'm trying to figure out how you get, cause trying to make it, make it make sense. Yeah. 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 So, so how did you look at that and, and how does that make sense for, for app? And first off, if it makes sense for Apple, I don't know how it makes sense for Sony because Apple has a lot of other platforms that they can move these users onto and monetize them, whereas Sony doesn't really at all. So anyway, um, I'd love to get your your perspective yeah. on this. Yeah, I mean, look, I think I think whenever you're thinking about these types of of, of deals, you know, you always got to think about who are the potential acquirers, what do they need, what are they looking for, as well as looking at the business and the underlying sort of metrics, right? It's always a little bit art and a little bit science, right? I think, you know, if you're talking about just pure metrics, look, the reality is podcasting has seen tremendous growth over the past few years, but it's certainly not, you know, yet at a place that is displacing, you know, radio um, in the way that I think some folks had thought or had hoped years ago, right? And you sort of spoke to the numbers where you, you, you know the business really well, you're looking at and you're like, hey, like they're probably growing really quickly. They, maybe they're doing this kind of revenue, but even that feels like it's a tough, tough slog to then get to the to the numbers that we're hearing, right? Um, and I think that's very fair. The truth of the matter is, right? Like if you look at all the podcast deals that have happened over the past few years, none of them have been for very much more than maybe 200, 300 million, whether that be Anchor, whether that be uh, the, the Ringer with Bill Simmons, Gimlet, whether that be even just the Joe Rogan deal, which they didn't sell, they, they sold the exclusive rights to, but similar. Um, it's really tough, you know, no, nothing's really broken past that ceiling. Um, and I think that does speak to the fact that look, tremendous opportunity there, but these businesses on their own are maybe not yet worth what people were hoping that they would be worth, um, you know, even a few years ago. I think at the same time, though, 
you, you do have to think about what are the big podcast companies or distribution companies trying to achieve. So if you think about Spotify, right, who's been a big buyer and a big spender here, um, you know, they are trying to create a business that has significantly better margins than their traditional business, which is the music business. You know, the, the more you look into that business, the more you realize that they pay out so much of, of sort of all the subscription revenue and the advertising revenue, honestly, um, to, to the owners of the music themselves. It's tough business to actually really build a really profitable business on top of. Podcasting, because it's, it's talk and audio, doesn't have the same facets. And so for them, this is an incredible opportunity to kind of almost create a Netflix, if you will, of audio, mm. um, as well as an advertising business that right. doesn't have the sort of same margin challenges that their traditional business has. And so for them, buying the ringer, buying Gimlet, getting into those businesses was a way of kickstarting and really accelerating their plans to try to become you know, in effect, the destination for, for podcasts, which is something that nobody's really been able to achieve, you know, other than Apple. When you think about Apple, um, that's, that's one that's very interesting because they've historically been so dominant, right? They haven't had to buy any of these podcasting companies because, you know, there was a time when it was like 70, 80% of everybody listening to a podcast was on, on an iPhone, actually, or through the, the Apple podcast app. I mean, it's, it's called a pod, you know, because of the iPod, right? Um, and so they've traditionally really shied away from buying any of these companies and certainly paying top dollar. But, you know, to the extent that they're very interested in something like Wondery, you could maybe see that as an, as an admission that they've really not been focusing on this market and that they're a little bit scared and nervous about some of the developments and how things are moving with, with Spotify and thinking a little bit about how do they use it as a weapon, as part of their sort of growing services business that they're building that has Apple Music in it, that has the Apple you know, Plus and Apple TV sort of business inside of it, right? Um, and so, you know, you can kind of talk yourself into the same, you know, kind of numbers the way Spotify did, which was, hey, we really need an anchor asset that helps us get going here and really double down on this space. I'd agree with you that Sony seems a little bit kind of out of left field. The difference might be that, look, um, this is one of the last great places of IP generation that hasn't been picked over, right? We all know these days, you look at film, you look at TV, everything is basically something that already exists, right? It's existing intellectual property, right? The biggest movies are the Marvel movies and the Star Wars movies, right? Mm, the right. biggest TV shows right. are, are, you know, based on things that were, you know, either books or they were, you know, something else, right? Right, totally, um, totally. Yeah, and, and, and even everything else that's really big is just an arbitrage, an arbitrage totally. off of some other massive IP. Correct, and so yeah. I think what you could see there is them saying, hey, you know, Wondery has been really successful at launching these types of this, this IP in a new medium. And so if we can acquire it and then be able to turn that IP into film, into TV, into all these other kind of, uh, of, of, of mediums, that's one of the last treasure troves, if you will, you know, this mm. podcasting medium that hasn't been picked over uh, by everyone else. Uh, so that sort of drives, I think, a little bit of the interest there. But look, I, I, I agree with you. I think the numbers typically are tough to sort of wrap your head around if you're just thinking about it on a purely, you know, P&L type basis. Yeah, let's, and, and, and that makes sense. I mean, for example, like we are much more valuable to a sports betting company than we are to, um, well, to keep it in your wheelhouse, like Shernan or something like that, right? Because we literally we literally just div like deliver betting companies, their ideal user. Um, and you know, that drives up, uh, our value to them 
sure. much more than somebody. And maybe Shannon's a bad example, but I'm just saying, like, uh, comparatively speaking, like, um, yeah, know, look, I think not the, necessarily uh, a revenue play. Yeah, no, no, I, I get it. I, look, I think the churning guys were sort of very early in recognizing the, those type of dynamics as they did with Barstool and hence right. selling Penn Gaming. But yeah, I mean, the reality is, is I think what what people are realizing more and more is media businesses can be incredible lead generation for other bottom of funnel businesses. Yeah, yeah, that's so right. For you guys, right? You know, whereas in the past, I mean, our like, media company is our own funnel for our own product. For your own top, of, yeah. exactly, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Products, yeah. and so it just so happens that gambling is a very perfect sort of bottom of funnel. That's right. That's right. For you guys as well, and so those those gambling companies are like, oh my god, look at these guys. They're it's the perfect user, right? I think you're going to see that, by the way, across a whole host of other media businesses, <laughs> where people are going to realize, like, hey, this business is actually a great marketing funnel for this other business. And so if we can put them together and we have an advantage from the distribution side, we don't always have to go out and pay Facebook. Yep, that's right. Money, right. Totally, totally, totally. That's totally. where you, that's where the magic kind of happens. Attention is the currency and it's like what kind oh. of attention. And, and then if it's the right attention, it's just like, it's, it's worth as much as, is you know, hundred percent. And that's by the way, why you guys, you know, companies like you guys are so interesting and so valuable because it's not just about getting eyeballs. It's actually about getting eyeballs that really care. That's right. right? So it used to be that like, Hey, you, all you cared about was just how many people can you reach? Now the question isn't just how many people can you reach, but rather when you reach them, will they actually do something? Will they take an action? Right. Um, and so, you know, I suspect, and what I, what I think the gambling guys are seeing with you guys is that all the people that they're reaching through you, those are really high quality, you know, eyeballs. Those guys right, are then right. download, you know, those people are downloading the app, you know, they're getting into the, you know, they're, they're looking at, at what's up and what the games are happening and they're betting and they're probably betting in, you know, significant numbers and at significant, you know, amount of wagers. Right. And, and with big handles. So it's, 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 it's not just the reach. It's also the engagement. Let's go a different direction now, because this is a, a, a buy that, kind of, it doesn't go against everything we're talking about, but it's just in a different channel, right? So Spotify is buying Megaphone for $235 million. Um, and, and this one's very interesting because Spotify will now own the distribution and the ad center for many of the country's largest podcast networks. I mean, including ours. And, and yeah. I, t- I tweeted today, it's, it's pretty crazy to think that we are now paying Spotify a fairly large amount of money per month to host and distribute our podcast network, A, and then yeah. B, you know, them getting a cut of any programmatic advertising that we offer. Um, it's, it's, it's really crazy. This is, this is like, and for them to be able to do this, the price to me just seems incredible incredible value right here. And, and I realize that Megaphone's not exactly the biggest company right now, but um, this is such a big opportunity for, for Spotify to get not only to, they're going to have all of the data at their fingertips now. Yeah. Um, so they're going to be able to identify potential opportunities because everyone, I mean, I don't know how much of the markets on, on, um, uh, on megaphone, but I, I mean, 30% probably like a, probably like a, a maybe a low guess. So, yeah, I, yeah, no, you know, I think, 
you know, one of the things that was so interesting about podcasting, right, for so long was that it was kind of like the mom and pop medium, right? Which is like, if you think about like digital, any other kinds of digital, right, um, businesses right now, digital media, particularly digital, anything that's ad supported, right? Everything's gotten so centralized, right? It's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's yeah, YouTube, yeah, yeah. right? It's these big, and, and, you know, it's like a couple of big companies that control so much of the market, right? And podcasting was this thing that it was like these, you know, more local, more mom and pop, more, you know, small businesses. And in a way, that's what made, honestly, podcasting so great, right? Because it wasn't centralized. There weren't a couple of big tech companies that owned all the distribution and all the the monetization, right? Um, But, you know, in a way, it's also to some extent what I think has held it back from becoming a massive, massive big business in the same way. Because the truth of the matter is, is that like that kind of centralization, particularly on the monetization side, the kind of data targeting that, you know, Facebook and Google do, the, the kind of, um, you know, auction based systems, right, the dynamic advertising, right, those are why those markets are so large. And, and so to some extent, the fact that we've sort of been in this fragmented sort of more mom and pop world has been one of the reasons why I think podcasting has been amazing for those at the top. And for those with really big audiences, um, but maybe not actually quite as good from a monetization standpoint for everyone else, right? Um, and not as widespread of a boon the same way that, you know, you can think about how many people honestly either make a living or make a side hustle out of YouTube or, you know, other types of sort of online creation, right? Um, and so I think what Spotify is trying to do here is they, and, and this is what they're trying to do with Anchor and Gimlet and, and, and all that as well, is they saw a window where, look, Apple, who owns a lot of the distribution, they don't want to do advertising or they haven't been focused on it. They're not really trying to push this forward. We have an opportunity where we can create that full stack, where we can do all of the types of advertising work that enables these digital businesses to really scale, right? In addition to then this subscription opportunity that they have too. Um, And so they have, I think, been quietly, and not that quietly, I guess, been amassing the pieces. And it hasn't been, in effect, really all that expensive because, as I said, all of these individual companies are actually, you know, it's been more so mom and pop that there hasn't been something that's gotten to a place where it's worth a billion, two billion, three billion, et cetera. Right. Um, Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. No, I mean, that that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I I just look at it and say... um, you know, Spotify at this point is able to monetize literally every facet of yep. the industry from here, whether it is hosting, whether it's ads, um, you know, they have the subscription, they have content. So they're, I mean, they're really going on here, going in here. Um, how do you feel about the word monopolization being thrown around right now in podcast in reference to big tech and, and watching maybe a yeah. big three end up surfacing here, kind of owning all of the assets. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's a really big conversation right now, I think happening across a lot of technology with the word monopoly and trying to figure out, you know, how do you think about these companies that have gotten so big and so large and to some extent, you know, some people feel like they're monopolies, other people don't. Um, I think what's what's really clear is that in most cases the, in these markets, right, they've been amazing for consumers, right? I don't pay for Google. I don't pay for Facebook. Those are amazing experiences that have driven a lot of value. And that's one of the reasons why I think people are reluctant to think of them as monopolies in the, in the way like you might think of Standard Oil back in the day, right, which was raising prices on consumers. Um, and it's still true that, look, the reality is it's, you know, a lot of competition for these types of services is one click away, right, depending on how you define it. 
at the same time, you know, I think we all recognize and increasingly see how difficult it is to compete with these types of businesses and how they leverage power maybe in one market that they control into another, which makes people feel uncomfortable. And, you know, I think the answer, to be frank with you, is that it's really hard to paint too broad of a brush and say they're all monopolies or not monopolies. I think you, we need to create an evolving framework where we can really assess that. I think within audio specifically, as I look at Spotify and Apple, look, it's hard for me to say that it's a monopoly. I mean, you've got a massive competition right now going on the music side between Apple, between Spotify, uh, you know, Amazon's been trying to play in that space too. Um, you know, there, there's a pretty big competition there and you still have got obviously, you know, tremendous offerings from things like Pandora, Sirius, et cetera, radio. Um, you know, I think on the podcasting side, it's also tough because, you know, still so much consumption is going through Apple. Um, and so while Spotify is definitely starting to build this, this juggernaut, if you will, you know, they, they've been really coming at someone who for years had, had, a, you know, very, very high market share. So I'm not quite ready to say it's a monopoly. I do think that we're starting to see, though, a lot of the same dynamics that we've seen in other digital markets where, you know, these big tech companies can create really, really big tech platforms. And it's very hard to compete with them on that way. Um, but look, let's not forget at the same time, those tech platforms tend to create a lot of opportunity, right? Like people, you know, for, for folks like you, um, you know, you guys use YouTube all the time, right? You guys use Twitter, you guys use all of these platforms all the time. Absolutely. You know, without them, you know, your business probably doesn't, doesn't really work in the same way, right? Yep. Um, and so, you know, if you talk to the Spotify folks, I think that what they tell you is, look, we're trying to enable more and more people to create great content and, and monetize it and build their own businesses. And so, you know, I, there's a lot of challenges. It's definitely a complex issue. Um, but I am optimistic that the industry is going to continue to grow and there's going to continue to be a lot of room and space for people like yourself who can take advantage of these tools to build really interesting podcast businesses, but also importantly, use the podcast business and use the distribution of these big tech companies to actually build other businesses using the podcast as lead gen, whether that be, you know, for, for, you know, merch, whether that be for a membership program, whether that be for live events, you know, to really actually use that enhanced scale as an advantage for yourself, even if, you know, Spotify is taking its cuts, you know, from the, from the actual podcast business itself. Yeah. And, and the last thing I'll say on podcast before we move on is I don't think that people realize especially people like me and you who live in this world, um, how much growth is there to still be had? You yeah. know, um, I, I did a TikTok on this yesterday. Yeah, I have a new TikTok channel. I just put it up a couple of weeks ago. So I'm, I'm in the TikTok world now. But 35, only 35% tall of, of people over 35 have listened to a podcast. Yeah. Um, only 55% of Americans listen to podcasts. So, you know, to me, yeah, lots of room, lots of room to grow. Um, let's real quick. I just want to touch on kind of a, a zoom out big view of media companies and sizes, you know, and, and so right now, the way I look at this is you have these small independent creators um, and there's a ton of them and some do okay. Uh, a lot of them are more recreational. And then right a step ahead of that is you have um, people that are 
on some of these other platforms, maybe like a Substack, and uh, or maybe they're using some sort of uh, you know software to help get some recurring uh, memberships going, and yep. they're generating some revenue. And then you jump from that and you go to like these huge companies. And so when I look around, we are like extremely rare. I, I because when I look at this, I say like man, I'm trying to find some, you know, small to mid-sized media companies around and they're just like not around. And so um, I guess in your opinion, what is the future of the mid-sized or yeah. local media company? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because I think these things always go in cycles, right? Um, you know, people like to joke that, they're, that the two ways you make money in business are bundling and unbundling, and you sort of just are, are cycling back and forth between the two of them. And I think that's true in terms of, of this aspect as well. You know, if you think about where the media business was before the internet, right? It was a lot, yeah, there were some really big media companies, right? But the truth of the matter was there was a ton, a ton in sort of the middle, right? These kind of, you know, fairly decently sized, either local or regional, or in some cases, sort of subscale national businesses, right? And I think what happened is, and what we've seen is that technology has sort of like eliminated that middle, right? And it's meant that you either have gotten huge, right? You have these giant companies that can reach more people than anyone has ever been able to in the history of the world before, right? Across the entire world, not even just within a city or a country, right? Mm -hmm. Or as you said, you sort of have now all of these platforms that enable individuals to actually have their own businesses in a way that you could never have imagined even 20, 30 years ago, right? So you, you sort of seen this sort of like hollowing out of the middle where if you're this mid-sized media company where your cost structure is too high relative to your opportunity, um, so you're, you're not as nimble as like an individual, right? Um, you're not as, as sort of quick and, and able to take advantage of, of these opportunities like a small individual might, but you're also not at the kind of scale that you need to compete with the big boys, right? that's kind of gone away. And so I think that's right, that you're sort of one of the few that has sort of like still in that sort of zone. But I think what's interesting is that we're sort of seeing a rebirth as people are figuring out where are the opportunities in that zone, right? And I think one of the biggest areas there is really around local, quite frankly, around local news, around local content, right? Which is, as you've seen these traditional businesses, media businesses struggle, like it's really hard to get good quality local content, right? I mean, it's really hard, right? Whether it be sports or whether it be it, it, it coverage of local politics or, or what have you. And the truth is, is that it's tough for any one individual or even a group of individuals, right, on their own to cover those aspects really well. You might get some here, you might get some there. Um, and these things are definitely too small for a big company, you know, some of these big giant tech or media companies to focus on. And so what I think you're seeing is you're seeing businesses like yours kind of rise up where they take a lot of the knowledge and the know-how and they sort of operate in a lot of the ways that individuals do in these zones, right? You know, they're very nimble. They're on all of these different platforms all the time. They know how to move audiences from these different tech platforms, you know, from one to the other. Um, and they know how to sort of monetize in like a ton of, you know, a hundred different ways, not just one, right? Um, but they combine that with some of the knowledge and know-how professionalism scale that you have from the, from sort of like more traditional, bigger business side, um, and can create a sense of community loyalty and connection 
um, in a way that, you know, maybe some, some individuals can't, um, and certainly the way big companies can't. And so, you know, my prediction will be that you'll see more of these types of businesses emerge, mm -hmm. probably actually, by the way, built around individuals. So you'll see people that became yeah, that's really right. successful yep. as creators, right, as these individual people that the new technology enabled them to be on their own, you'll start seeing them, I think, get to a point and to a size where, hey, what if I, you know, add a resource here, add a resource there? What if we sort of package in some of these things um, and adjacencies? And you'll see some of these mid-sized businesses, I think, get formed around them as well. And I suspect you'll see more of those moving forward too. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. And to me, I still think like equity is always going to be key. And so I think that even if you have a bunch of great creators on Substack or some other platform and somebody like me comes along or, or could be anybody and says, hey, you guys all do a great job. You guys are all aiming for the same thing. Let's all get together. Let's make a company. You get to this percentage of it. Let's build this thing together. We get to win together. And, and uh, you know, uh, you end up creating a brand which solidifies kind of everything that you're doing. And um, people always want to, I think as humans, uh, be represented by something bigger than themselves, uh, you know, so. Yeah. Um, it's also I, really I, tough, right? Like it's hard to be an individual forever on your own. Yep, yep. You know, it's so reliant on you and so reliant on your effort day in, day out. Um, and, you know, if you really think about it, like what happens if you start getting interested in something else, but it's, it's, it's you, you're the product, right? It's hard sure. to then keep the business up while focusing on something else, right? It's also hard to create what I call terminal value, right? Because if it's just you, what happens when you maybe want to retire? You can't really sell you, right? In the same way, right? So I suspect what you'll see is more and more of these creators, and you're already seeing it, by the way, in, in certain verticals, are starting to think about how do they you know, use their own audience and their distribution? How can they be a media company of one? But then how can they actually use that to create other businesses and to create a little bit more scale to create terminal value, to create mm. that, that sort of bundle, if you will. And again, it's that same old story. You unbundle and you rebundle. It's just, you do it on different levels of the stack, so to speak. And so I think moving forward, we're going to see more and more of this rebundling, if you will, um, around some of these types of creators, around some of these types of identities, around sort of local businesses and local needs in a way that, you know, sort of like the big tech companies can't do and in a way that the individual, you know, creators can't quite do or kind of want to grow out of into, into this new thing. So I, I'm very bullish on that. I'm bullish on yeah. there being more in the middle over time. Yeah, I love that. Uh, last one, then we'll get into the final round here. So. Warner Media, after laying off 500 people in August, are set to lay off a lot more. Some analysts are saying in the thousands, potentially. Business Insider today published the internal memo from the CEO, which is gut-wrenching to read if you look at it from the perspective of that chair. Um, you know, they are going all in on digital streaming. We just saw ESPN take 500 jobs off the market last week. They are going all in on live streaming and digital broadcast. And I feel like we've talked about the paradigm shift for years. So I guess the question is, are we at the shift? Like right now, yeah. is this the, is this moment right now the inflection point? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting, right? Because I feel like you've sort of had these two camps battling it, you know, going, going back and forth saying, you know, digital is the future, everything's moving this way. And people saying you're wrong, it's a lot further than you think. 
And, you know, I've probably honestly been more in the former than the latter. And I will tell you that I think I was kind of wrong on some level. Like, you know, I used to think sports was going to have moved digitally a lot sooner than it has, for example, even if I think I was right about more of the general entertainment and the sort of long thrust of, of history, if you will. Um, but, you know, I think what we're really seeing right now is an acceptance of that fact, which is, look, the, the present might still be multimodal and there's still a lot more. Uh, there's still a lot of business to be done in, you know, quote unquote, traditional mediums. Those are not going away tomorrow. You know, the NFL is still going to be a huge presence on broadcast, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, there, there's still a lot more life left in the traditional media business on that sense. But what you're really seeing is, I think, all of these big media companies accepting and believing in the fact that, look, streaming is the future. That's where the sort of puck is going, if you will. We got to really skate towards there. In some cases, maybe we've been too slow and now we have to really race to catch up. And that requires change, unfortunately, um, you know, and, and change can be painful. Um, and so, you know, if you ask me or if we're finally in that moment, I guess the answer is, is yes. It's just that, you know, like anything else, you know, it, it's not like there's this like, you're not flipping a switch and all of a sudden you're in the moment. It's sort of, we've been getting here for a long time. And I think we're just now starting to see it sort of pick up even more and more steam and momentum, right? Like there was like that Hemingway or, or, or the, I think it was Hemingway quote about how like, you know, things change, you know, happen, you know, very slowly and then all at once. I think that's a little bit what we're kind of seeing on the media business, which is all of these trends have been happening for a long time. I mean, Reed Hastings and Netflix have certainly been doing it now for forever, right? Um, but all of a sudden they're all kind of accelerating. And in a way, I think COVID and sort of what happened based on the pandemic and how people's consumption habits change kind of only accelerated that. And so in a way, I think you're absolutely right, which is we're really seeing everyone kind of admit and commit and say, you know what, this is the future. We got to get there and we got to get there as quickly as we possibly can. Whereas in the past, everyone would tell you it was the future, but maybe was trying to delay it a little bit or, or wait and see and wasn't you know, fully committed to let's get there as quickly as we possibly can right now. Love that. Okay. So we're going to go to the final round. I usually have three questions, but okay. I, I, I added an extra one for you here. Okay. Uh, and, and I love, and I love, do I get extra credit. Do I get extra credit? <laughs> yes, uh, you do. You, know, right? you get a sticker. You get a sticker. Oh, nice. Can I get a lollipop um, as well? <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're ready. I, you're going to like this one too. And I yep. think you're going to have a pretty quick answer, but okay. Let's okay. Go. You're ready. So you're starting a company. Yeah. Would you rather have a 10,000 person email list or a $50,000 or 50,000 Twitter followers? Oh, I'd rather have the email list for sure. Yeah. What well, sure. is there any social that, um, that that would change 50,000 Insta, 50,000 Facebook, 50, any, or, or no matter what on social is, it I think no matter what person? I'm taking the email list and okay. the simple reason is just, you know, an email list is, is kind of like, there's no gatekeeper, right? You know, when I send you an email, you're getting it. I mean, hopefully it's not going into spam, right? Yeah. Uh, you may not open it, but you're getting it. You know, the challenge with all of these social platforms is you don't really own the audience in the same way, right? Because you're mediated by the algorithm of Facebook or by the algorithm of Twitter. Uh, and so I'm going with the, I'm going with the email list because it's so direct. And also because I think what we've seen is that email is even today, underrated as far as allowing you to do other things with your audience, whether totally. it's merchandise or tickets or what have you. So I'm going with the email list. 
Yeah, yeah. I actually talked about this on the last um, on the last pod, but you know, we have all of these followers on social and podcast downloads and all this stuff. We still sell more merch through email than anything. You know. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. I like to joke. People always tend to underestimate the like tr- more traditional quote unquote mediums in some ways. So like, you know, catalogs still do great business in many respects. People still buy a lot through the mail. You know, direct mail is actually an amazing channel for marketing things that people completely forget about because it sounds so old school, but it's actually great. And I think the same is a little bit true for email, which is people kind of forget and sleep on a little bit the power of what a a really good email list can do. more and more people, I think, recognize that now. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely going with the email list. Although, you know, having having a ton of Twitter followers might be a little bit more fun for my ego and getting the likes. <laughs> but uh, for the business, I'm going with the email. During election season, a lot of Twitter followers suck. <laughs> but other than that, it's I, you know what? I uh, I can only imagine that that you know I, I feel <laughs> I feel bad for you having to deal with those problems. Um, okay, uh, let's go. Most important book of all time to you. Wow. Most important book of all time to me. I was not prepared for this one. I know. Uh, You know what? Just for the listeners out there, uh, Tal is getting slapped with a huge surprise. He he wasn't prepared for any of these. I'm not not prepared for any of that. (laughs) um, You know, I think think the most important book of all time for me, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's like you're never going to have heard of it. It's a weird, it's a weird uh, thing to think about, but actually there was this fantasy series by this author, uh, Diana Wynne-Jones, kids, kids stuff that I read when I was little, okay. um, sort of before Harry Potter, right? This is like way older than that. And um, so should I, I not add this to my list? No, you, it's, it's, it's kid stuff. I don't think you're going to love it that way. Okay. The reason why it's so important to me, I think, was it, I was like that nerdy kid, you know, didn't really necessarily believe in themselves or have a ton of confidence. Mm, okay. And so, you know, these types of books, this author who, who wrote these amazing sort of kids fantasy books that sort of helped me see a way in which, you know, maybe I could figure out how to do and accomplish something and be special and be unique and believe in myself, you know, very cliched stuff, but honestly, there's a reason why it's cliche. And I I hope that, you know, every kid and everyone kind of has that kind of experience where when they're little, they find something that kind of speaks to them and suggests Mm. to them that they, they can reach for more and they can do more and that they, you know, they have a lot of worth themselves. So, you know, a little bit of a, of maybe a sappy answer in a weird book you've probably never heard of, but, but that's, that's definitely what it probably was for me. Super cool. Let's go most underrated athlete of all time. Most underrated athlete of all time. You know, it's, it's funny because, um, so I, I grew up being a competitive swimmer. Um, okay. and so okay. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a little biased on this one. I'm going to actually say that I think two people are really underrated for the same reason, which is I think Phelps and Spitz are completely underrated. Wait, what? They seem really like, they seem like demigods or something to me. Yeah, well, they, like, but no, but like they're demigods in the sense that of course everybody kind of knows who they are. Well, certainly now Phelps, I think younger generations probably have no idea who Mark Spitz was. Right. Or is, but, um, Right. But, you know, I think it's one of those where everyone will say that they're amazing. But then if I'm at, if I ask you like top five athletes ever, mm, or right. who, who, you know, who are your idols? They're never on anyone's list. Um, and as someone who, who sort of grew up swimming, I just, the, the, the longevity and the peaks that these guys hit in their career, it's just incredible. It's insane. Um, and so I, I think I'm going to have to go with air, but I, I certainly am, am biased on that one. 
Although, funnily enough, this is, this is the hot take in me. LeBron might actually be the most underrated in that every, you know, there's so many people that just don't seem to want to give him a shot at being the GOAT, personally. So even though he's very highly rated, I think there might be enough people that say he's not where he is that I think, I think he might still be the most underrated. Well, I can tell you he's, he's certainly not rated very highly in Denver, and uh, that's pure bias, obviously. <laughs> yeah, well, look, that's, I mean, regardless of what you think about him, you know, I think I, that, oh, that's sure. sort of like a weird take where you're like, well, how could LeBron be so underrated? But in a weird way, I think right, he kind right, of right. maybe is. For sure, uh, for sure. You know, given the Jordan of it all, so. Yeah, we, there's just a lot of pain here, I think. Um <laughs> Let's talk about the space that you're most excited about in the near future. Space or business you're most excited about in the near future? You know, um, like your last one. Yeah, listen, I think uh, I think there's a ton. Um, to be frank with you, I'm most excited though about about you know creators and about the sort of power of increasing number of individuals with audience and distribution. Um, but not maybe in the way that that everyone or so many folks are excited about, which is for sure that people are going to be these big media businesses of one, they're going to be more and more creators that make you know tons of money and have tons of influence just by being creators. But what I'm really excited about is people building these businesses around these creators, as I sort of alluded to earlier, and this idea that, hey, more and more of these people are going to have such massive influence in a given vertical, you know, whatever you can think of, there's going to be someone who is like, you know, the creator in that vertical, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just really excited to sort of like we're entering this phase where, okay, I've built a media business as a creator. How can I actually build a business that's not just me as a person and my content, but rather utilizes me and my personality and my audience and my content as a distribution mechanism for something else. That's what I'm really excited about. I think we're going to see a ton of businesses that are built around those types of people and around those types of personalities. And I think one of the reasons why it's so exciting is you know, there's not going to be gatekeepers the way there were in the past. So it used to be that you'd have to go convince, you know, by the way, generally speaking, it was like a rich white guy living in New York or LA, right? You know, um, <laughs> yeah, I've been on the have, trips, you've been on the trips, right? There was like the same six guys <laughs> yeah, 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 and yeah. you have to convince them to, to, you know, give you a shot, right? Um, the beauty is that with the world that we live in now, you don't need to convince those guys. You can just build your own audience and so I think we're going to see a, like some really interesting diversity in the types of businesses, in the types of communities that get built around these people um, and that are going to speak a lot more deeply to people across the world, not just in the country. And, and so whatever your passion, whatever your niche is, you know, I think there's going to be businesses that are going to be really focused on serving you. Um, and I think that's really exciting. So that's the space that I'm sort of most excited about. Love that. Man, this is awesome. I feel like we could probably do this for a long time. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had a great time. We could probably, I have, you know, it, it, you're, you're a great, you're a great radio host. So you take me through it in the right way. I'm very jealous. I'm very jealous, by the way, of your, of your radio voice here. Too. I, I, for one, hate the sound of my voice. So, uh, you know, whenever I hear, I hear someone where I'm like, ah, oh, that I would love, I would love to get that voice, you know, a voice made for podcasting because I've certainly got a face made for podcasting. So, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've totally, uh, you know, no matter how far into the business side I get and try to label myself behind the desk, uh, you know, as soon as I open my mouth, <laughs> they tag me as the podcaster radio guy. So uh, there's nothing I can do about it. 
No, you know what? I, I love it. Plus, like, who wouldn't who wouldn't want to uh, who wouldn't want to get to shout some hot takes into a mic? You know, I think we're all. I think everyone in the world is always convinced that their hot takes would be the best if they just got a shot. The reality is, obviously, most people's takes are are really not that hot and not that great. But everybody yeah. would love that shot. So I, I think everyone. I think people are jealous of you that that that's what you get pegged as. <laughs> awesome stuff, man! So great. Thank you so much, Tal. Um, really appreciate it. And uh, man, I look forward to to talking to you soon. And uh, good luck awesome. with everything that you have yeah. going on. I know you guys are doing such an awesome job. So let everyone know Thank real you. quick where they can find you and uh, what you guys have next uh, coming up. Yeah, so, so they can find me personally at TweetTall on Twitter. I joke that I would rather have the email list, but I think my Twitter, my Twitter right now is, is where I'm directing people to. Uh, so, you know, hopefully give me a follow on, uh, on the Twitter there. But, um, you know, uh, in terms of Immortals and IGC, you can find us at IGC.GG. Uh, we, we operate a bunch of different esports brands, whether it be MIBR or Immortals. Um, and so you can find us on Twitter and Instagram and really any, any network. Uh, or social network that you have out there. And I just encourage people to come check us out, come watch some, some esports games if you haven't. Um, and uh, yeah, just thrilled to be here. Appreciate the opportunity and I'm excited to see what you guys do. And uh, you know, hopefully when, when this is all over, maybe I can come out to Denver and uh, we can do this in person sometime. Yeah. Totally. Hey, before you get out of here, yeah, I, I got to just quick, I, I'm a huge gamer myself, actually. Yeah. Are you a gamer at heart or are you like a certain genre gamer or are you like, Hey, I'm all in, I'm a gamer. Yeah. So, so the way I would describe it is gamers would be like, that guy is not enough of a gamer and non-gamers would be like, he's a huge gamer. So I'm yeah, really sure in that. You know, I don't get to play honestly as much yep. now as I really used to would love to, just given totally. how busy I am. Yep. Uh, but in general, I'm a very competitive guy. I love multiplayer games. I play a lot of League of Legends. I play a lot of Valorant. Uh, so I, I play some of the more sort of like AAA PC games. Uh, you know, I can't say I'm a huge uh, uh, Candy Crush guy, but I do play some mobile <laughs> games as well. Um, and like everybody okay. else, you know, I dabble in, the, in Fortnite and, and Call of Duty and, and all that as well, so... Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. I, I actually usually throw people for a spin cause I am a sports gaming guy, but I love role-playing games. So I love like, which so like a big Zelda guy, Witcher. I love Zelda, love Witcher, love uh, elder Scrolls series. So uh, you're, you're going to love the cyberpunk final, game. When I'm a huge out. final fantasy guy. I mean, oh, nice. Grew up Final Fantasy all the way. Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy VII. Just played the Final Fantasy XV last year. Loved it. So, yeah. Well, you, you're going to love you're gonna love the new Cyberpunk game when it comes out. Even yeah, it looks awesome. Play. It does look awesome. Yeah, that'll be right up your alley. But I, I hear you. I mean, I, I love, like, those RPG games. Zelda, all of that. You know, growing up, that was my jam. So, you know. Totally. I, sports games are great. But sometimes it's nice to be, like, an elf with a sword and do some stuff you can't do in real life, right? Yeah. You know, I'm like you. I don't really have that much time to play too much anymore game takes me forever but i always people always talk about what they're going to do when they retire sometimes i think like man i would love to just go to a place for a month and just game and just get it out of my <laughs> just get it out of my system and then go back to real world so hey awesome man thank you so much for coming on tal and uh hey we'll talk to you next time man yeah. Thanks. talk soon Yeah. I run New York. I, I get it.